Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg, and today's guest is Tommy Baker. Tommy helps dreamers, visionaries, and entrepreneurs bring their dreams to life. He's the author of the book, Hustlers and Seekers, How to Crush It and Find Fulfillment Without Losing Your Mind. And that is essentially the subject of this podcast conversation. We talk about how you can crush life, but also find fulfillment without completely going bonkers and cuckoo up a tree. It seems that so often in the personal development space, there are two main camps. The one camp says to work hard, sleep when you're dead, out hustle everybody else in the room. The other camp says, just sit down, pray for a while, talk to God, just flow and surrender, man. Let the abundance manifest and come to you. So how do you balance those two seemingly contradictive, I don't even know if that's a word, opposite ideas, right? How do you balance that? So in this episode, we talked to Tommy. He's a good dude. He is a writer. He's a coach. And he also has a very successful podcast called the Resist Average Academy Podcast. He's helped thousands of people through the years. And in this one, he tells a few stories talks about his new book, and really, I think, offers a a useful and helpful perspective for those of us trying to do some big work in the world while at the same time not trying to burn ourselves out. So we're trying to balance the namaste with the holy moly, I just got so much done. I hope that makes sense. I think you're going to like this episode. Tommy and I have a good uh, relationship when it comes to early 2000s punk rock, and uh, and he's a good dude. So without further ado, here is Tommy Baker. All right, Tommy Baker, we just spent 10 minutes talking about Alkaline Trio, which is a, <laughs> a somewhat... Nobody obs- knows about, which is great. If you're, if you're listening and you don't know the Alkaline Trio, you've got some good tunes to discover because they were along the lines of Blink-182 pop punk 20 years ago, but still relevant, still adored by both of us. Yeah. But that's not why you're here. You're here to talk about a variety of things. You're author, speaker, coach. But for those who have never heard of Tommy Baker, like, what's your deal, man? Who, who are you? What do you, what do you do? What do you love? Love it. Love it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. Besides, besides the trio, I I am chasing this, you know, I'm in a constant quest to pursue, you know, what it means to be alive in a very real way. And when I say alive, it's it's how do you create a life that has meaning, that has purpose, that has fun, that has joy, that has experience, that has contribution. Um, you know, these are just kind of the things that I've defined as important to me. And then in turn, help others do the same based on the things that they value as well. And so that's my mission. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what keeps me up at night reading and learning and having conversations like this. Um, because I've experienced the contrast of that a life that didn't make me feel alive, a life that, a life that I didn't actually look forward to where I was very particular on the day of the week and how I felt. And if my football team won on Sunday, then I'd be a little bit more excited. And if my boss came out of the office and you know, gave me a stack of papers, I'd be a little less excited, but I lived in this very comfortable emotional middle. Uh, and it is, you know, my, um, I'm blessed to now help people get out of that place and really live at the fringes of, of what I call being alive, which is, I think is what we're all here to do. Ideally. Yeah. Being alive is, is better than the alternative. Hey. Um, but when you talk about, your your sort of previous life what what was that what uh, like what were you doing how did you get into the area that you are now yeah i mean i the short answer is always pain and discomfort i i think you know and uh because i i like you i obsessively study what makes humans tick what actually changes behavior and I think the heart, no, I, I don't think I know the hardest place to change from is a place of comfort. And that might be adapted comfort. So that's where I was, where I was actually going down a career that I wanted nothing to do with it on Wall Street. 
And most of my choices in retrospect, when I look at them, were made through the lens of what are other people going to think and are they going to approve and is that going to get me in the club and whatever club that may be. And that was the first, you know, 20 some odd years of, of my life, really. And then, you know, came to a, a point where there was an external force and an internal force. The internal stuff was brewing as it t- typically does, whispers, nudges, wake up calls. But I didn't have the courage. So I still needed an, an external force. And it was right around the time of the uh, financial crisis. So I'm like, I'm on this train, New York City. And there's, I'm surrounded by 40, 50, 60 year old men. And it's, it's the day where the market dropped like 10% or whatever, like the big, the big day where it was like, okay, now we're in this place. And I was just, it gave me an opportunity to say, to look around and say, is this what I want? And I felt the energy of the room of, of, of the, the, the car on the train. And the answer was no. And so that was kind of, that was like the wake up call that said, if I don't want this, then <laughs> what do I actually want? And that's, that really took me on a now 12 year quest that much like you, I'm, I'm still on. Cause the deeper you go, the, the, the bigger it gets. Yeah. I like that, man. I remember having a similar moment. I worked for the Australian government for a little while and they had, what did they call it? A reorganization or a some kind of government term whereby they fired a whole bunch of people who were world-class geniuses. And I remember seeing some colleagues of mine living with anxiety and dread for several months because they weren't sure if they were going to keep their job, if they're going to lose their job. And I had this moment one day whereby I realized that even at the top of the field that I was in, like the pinnacle, these were like really, really world-class scientists that they are still vulnerable to, to this external source of anxiety and impact. And I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to opt out for a different kind of suffering, so to speak. I'm going to try to make my own way. It sounds like that's what you did also. Yeah. I mean, very similar. And, uh, and there's a certain, you know, I mean, I know, I know books have fundamentally shifted your life. They have mine as well. There's an essay by Emerson called self-reliance that, you know, really speaks to kind of this, what you and I are, are, are talking about here. And, you know, those, that's, that's that, for me, that was an inflection point, kind of like, you know, yours, you know, that, that moment that it's like, I don't want to rely on this anymore, or I don't want my emotional state to be dependent on this. Um, and, uh, you know, often it does take, you know, I believe we always have clarity deep inside. I mean, I had clarity though. I was going down the wrong path. I mean, it was obvious, you know, clearly obvious, but you know, my parents and God bless them. They're amazing people. Their worldview was that anybody who isn't in this financial services world is essentially not, not worthless because that, that's, that's taking it to a different extreme, but not successful in their eyes. And so when you, when I grew up with that, that's like, it just, the the tectonic subconscious effect that has on my decisions were monumental. Um, But it's the moment that we can step away from that and see it for what it is that, that, you know, that's when our lives, in my opinion, can radically alter their course. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I love that description of the plate tectonics, because it really does feel like that foundational fracturing whereby some epiphany arrives and suddenly you can no longer not know that thing. I know. It's like, (laughs) Oh shit. Like you, the veil has been lifted, so to speak, and everything's clear and you can't put the veil back on because now you know that the veil exists. And so what happened next? What was that like for you? So you're, you're on wall street, you're making big bucks. Suddenly the economy goes to shit. You've realized Hey, this isn't what I really desire. I'm kind of living my parents' vision of my life. What happened next? Well, literally that day, you know, when you're young, you're you're younger, you're you're more dramatic. So I ripped the tie off in this kind of flight, fight club <laughs> moment, which was my favorite movie growing up, of course. Um, and I went to Barnes and Noble that day, actually. And I and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work on my thing, clearly having no idea what that would entail. 
but there was a certain enthusiasm and a certain, we can call it passion energy that came, that was coming behind that, that ultimately manifested in me, um, starting my own wellness, fitness, uh, nutrition company. Uh, now that process took years, but that I still remember that day at Barnes and Noble was, was pivotal. And just in saying, I now have a blank canvas. What do I actually want devoid of any external acceptance, devoid of what anybody thinks is good for me, not good for me, going to work, not work, uh, make sense. Doesn't make it. That doesn't matter. Like for the first time, can I, can I live in a container where I can ask and answer those questions? Honestly. Uh, and like I said earlier, often we know what we don't want and then knowing what we want can also be, can also be tricky, but that just involved pulling at the things that I was already curious at. What do I have? What do I already, what do I do already on Saturday mornings when I have nothing on the plate? What do I talk about? What, what keeps me going even when I'm exhausted? What am I already studying for free? When I go to the bookstore, where do I go? You know, and those, those questions and those answers, they, they contain some, some nice um, ingredients that can turn into something, you know, and, and often the thing that we love or we're good at, or can we develop in a career is actually right. It's sitting right underneath our noses. We just don't realize it. And we think we have to go on this Joseph Campbell's hero's hero's journey, which we will, by the way, you know, to discover it and, and go to Peru and Costa Rica. And those are beautiful places and we should all go there. Um, but sometimes they're just take a look at your life or what, what, what are you already drawn to? And that could contain many, many answers. Mm. Yeah. It's the classic, classic inflection point, right. Whereby you kind of realize the agency that you have in your life. Yeah. And it's, uh, in my experience, it's this kind of, uh, collision of overwhelm and possibility. I love that like, oh my God, I can do anything I want. And then also, oh my God, I could do anything I want. Like, yeah. How did you navigate that? Yeah. Um, that's, I love that. I love that. That those, that mix of those two, because I do think in our culture and I'm very wary of this too, in my platform and the stuff that I tell people, I think there can be a certain survivorship bias where you only show the possibility side because that's cool and that's fun and that's exciting and all of that stuff. And it is, but I love that you mentioned the the other side because to the degree that there's possibility to me is that the, the degree that there's also the overwhelm and the questioning and what now to me, it was just a, a as simple as, as a practice, a practice in, emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, knowing what I was feeling. But also if I, if we go back to where we started, it's like, let's say our emotions are on a scale of one to 10. One is like deep grief and sadness. And 10 is like a flow state. Like you've never seen. Like at that point in my life, I was very stuck between four and six and a half, right? If my team went on Sunday, I was six and a half. And if the boss you know, told me to screw off. I was a four, but I was stuck in this container in the middle. So I never experienced too much on the, on the ones or the twos, but that actually robbed me of experiencing the eights, nines, and tens. And so to answer your question, for me, that first step was allowing the possibility and the overwhelm to be, to actually fuel one another and to understand that these are temporary states and very quickly overwhelm can turn into possibility and possibility can turn into overwhelm. Um, and that's, a, that's, that means that we're actually moving towards something that matters to us. And so when I say, you know, earlier talking about being alive, it's, it's that feeling of aliveness that I believe we all yearn for and aliveness can be sadness and aliveness can be immense possibility. So it, it took like 10 years of emotional work. You know, it, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen at, at one UPW event. However, it was the practice of that. And that actually to me is, is you know, a lot of people talk about self-love and self-appreciation and self-worth. I think that's where it has to start. Can you actually experience both ends of the spectrum and not judge yourself? 
So if you're like in this very high state, now you're going to accept yourself. You're going to love yourself. You're going to communicate. You're going to take risks. You're going to be kind to people like you talk about. But when you're in this state, you're going to judge yourself. You're less than, you're not as good. At, and I'm like, no, no, no. Both sides to me are required for, for what I call a, a thriving life experience. Mm, I like that. I'd like to transition to your book, your recent book, at least. Because Let's do it. It seems like we've got the background and it seems quite relevant to, uh, to what you've written about. So it's called Hustlers and Seekers. Do you mind just describing the, that juxtaposition or the paradox? You know what I mean? Like between those. Sure. So we were talking about overwhelming yeah. possibility and now we're talking about hustle, sleep when you're dead, like your be outwork your competition. And then also like, <laughs> just, just sit and manifest and allow and namaste and <laughs> surrender. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We got Gary V on one side. We got the secret on the other. Yeah. Um, a hundred percent, man. So I've now been on my own for 12 years. I mean, I'm kind of losing track of time now, but it's, it's been over a decade and I found that um, there is this kind of tension between these two worlds, that there's this narrative that says work ethic is the answer to everything. I mean, it's, let's face it, it's painted literally in red, white, and blue on our flag, you know, this work ethic obsession. And that's, that's one side. And that's really good to achieve things, to cross things off your list, to go up the corporate or entrepreneurial ladder. Uh, and then there's another world, and and that's the world of um, disconnecting and creating space and and creating peace. Because I know a lot of, and this again, my experience, um, started to become successful in the fitness industry and grew multiple locations, um, had opportunity for maybe franchising stuff like that. Uh, and even though it was the thing that I also wanted, I found myself working so hard to the point of diminishing return. Where it's like, yes, I was achieving, but at some point, the more that I achieved, the less peace that I felt. That was like a weird thing to me. Like, how am I becoming more successful, but like internally, I'm actually getting away from my true north. Like that, that was a weird thing for me. And then I obviously realized that it was actually quite common. And then on the other side, with what I'll call seeking, which is, you know, space, detachment, the inner work, the emotional work, whatever we want to call it, possibility. Um, I found that was amazing to create fulfillment. That was amazing to experience these states of joy and wonder and awe and insight and stuff like that. But that also had diminishing returns that at some point you can become so consumed with insight that you do nothing. You just sit in paralysis all day, or you actually use spiritual work or personal growth um, as some type of avoidance. Let's call it a socially acceptable version of, 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 <laughs> of watching the Kardashians on the couch, meaning you've gone to four events. You've listened, you know, you've listened, you, you can regurgitate all of the principles of a successful life, but that thing that you really want to do, you're actually not doing it. So I found that, um, and by the way, this was all complete trial and error. So I like in the book and right now I'm obviously making light of both of these worlds because I've been so entrenched in both of these worlds. You know, there's a scene in the book where my staff at my fitness business had a staff of uh, like 12 to 15, depending on the season. And we're in my office and we're having a conversation and they're saying, you know what, Tommy, I, I you know, tomorrow's Christmas Eve. And, um, and I just don't think anyone's going to want to come in and just being in like, Oh, like in disbelief, Oh, it's Christmas Eve. Like not even knowing, like just ridiculous. Right. Um, but I've also, I've also tipped the scales so far on the other side where I couldn't make a decision without, you know, dialing a guru or a coach. Like I had no agency. My agency was completely gone. And so that's, that's the genesis of, of the book that these two worlds aren't separate and not only can they coexist for each of us, but to me, the way that I've defined a life well lived. And I think that's important for anybody out there as well to define that first. Um, they must coexist. They must coexist. So you have the sort of yin and the yang. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And this is such a, you know, universal kind of theme, right? These different energies. But uh, to me, I would, I was frustrated because I'd go down the bookstore and it'd be like, 
crushing it, 10X rule, um, squeeze every moment out of your workday, you know, all of that stuff. And then on the other side, it'd be like surrender experiment, surrender experiment, <laughs> the power yeah. of now, and, and you know, some Eckhart Tolle book. And I'd be like, and I, I love both. That's the thing. And a lot of people love both. But I was like, how do I, I would stand there and be like, what do I do on a random Wednesday? Like which one of these is going to help me on a random Wednesday? Uh, and, and now I, I know the answer is, is both, but, and that's what, that's what the mission of the book is, is hopefully uh, is designed to do. Yeah. When, when the pendulum swung the other way towards the spiritual side, you, you oh, yeah. referenced like a coach and a guru, but what, what did you notice was different in your life when you operated in that space versus the hustler space? Uh, from, from, from uh, positives or downsides? Both, I suppose. Yeah. Well, let's, it's, it's, that to me is, is a non-negotiable foundation. The way that I define success, and again, it's individual for everybody, um, I, can, I can achieve everything and 10 times over. But if I can't be at peace with myself, if I can't love spending time alone, if I haven't cleared stuff from the past that I'm still holding on to, none of that matters. So to me, the seeking has to be the foundation. And it, 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 it did amazing things for my life, much like people listening. And I'm sure you like, it's, it's, it, that's the inner work. I mean, there's no escaping the inner work. There's that's all we have at the end of the day. Um, and so completely changed my life, transformed my relationship with myself, with others, with, uh, like a higher source, all of that stuff. However, um, I also realized that, that there can be too much of a good thing. Um, in the sense that there are times where I definitely used it as a distraction. I definitely used it as escapism, actually. I definitely used it as um, what I call uh, spiritual video games, which is like, no, I wasn't playing Call of Duty in my basement, but like, come on. Like I, I was avoiding having a tough conversation or avoiding creating something, writing a blog post, you know, putting some type of workout into the world because that felt so damn good. And the thing is, seeking is full of possibility. It's, it's, it's always about insight gathering and, and vision and, and all of that stuff. Um, and now there are some parts about you know, the inner work that can be difficult to, to manage emotionally, but a lot of it is about possibility. And if it isn't, you're still feeling better because you're healing parts of yourself that were previously unacknowledged. And so the downside in that world was, I'm not creating something that has meaning externally to me. And it's like, Yes, I'm internally fulfilled, but I want to live in a world where my internal fulfillment can be matched with outer reality. And now some, some people don't, they're, they're like, they're totally cool being the, the Himalayan yogi. And I, I totally respect that by the way. And like detaching, opting out of, you know, Western society or whatever it may be. Um, I totally get that. I have an into the wild poster here, you know, Chris McCandless is my hero, but it, it wasn't practical enough for me. So those were the the benefits and, and the downsides. And so it sounds like you have traversed this kind of trail towards balance is a word that I use, but don't love, but it's like sure. trying to find that middle ground whereby you're hustling, but also spiritual, you're performing, but also fulfilled. Yes. Like, how is that? For you now, or what have you learned? What do you have to, to share from that place? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's really, you know, what what the book is about. And I, I agree with the word balance. I actually I kept having to take it off the book because that's not what the thing was. It was, but the word that I really latched onto was synergy, uh, synergy and sweet spot. So the whole premise is that I have a sweet spot, you have a sweet spot, the listener has a sweet spot. And it's very context dependent. You know, right now I am uh, in a season of my life where I'm putting work out into the world. Um, that it requires me. It doesn't require, but I'm choosing it actively because if you believe in what you do, you want to get it in the hands of, of people. Um, I'm choosing to to tip the scales. I'm choosing to, you know, let's say hustle seventy five percent of the time right now, and I know that, and that's away from my usual sweet spot. And so I know there's going to be a recalibration period in January where I'm going to go within, I'm going to take time off. I'm going to get off social media, like all of these things. Right. And so, um, yes, it's about synergy. 
It's about being able to not get stuck in rigid identities because I think that that can happen very often. One of the problems with hustlers is, or the ambitious, is that um, if they're not actively pursuing their vision, if they're not actively in movement, they maybe on a subconscious level or maybe on a conscious level, they don't they feel a few notches lower in terms of their self worth. It's just, it's, and this happened to me, right? It's like, if I was unplugged, I couldn't wait to get plugged in. Um, not because I had this huge grand changing mission, but, and that's what people will say, but because I just didn't feel comfortable not be, you know, being unplugged. And so, um, and on on the flip side, you know, it's the same thing with, uh, on the seeking side is that you can become so rigid into that identity that the moment that you step out into the field of play and you bring the novel that you wanted to write to life and you get rejected by your first agent that just slams a door in your face, or actually that's not going to happen. They just ghost you, which is more, more common. You know, you, you say, screw this. Like I, that, I'm, let me go back to this world where it feels really good. And thus you're kind of dishonoring um, a part of yourself. So the book, the second half of the book is split up into the two dichotomies. So I strip out a principle. So let's say we have a principle is ambition and then alignment right? Like how can those two go together? How can you be ambitious, which can be very psychologically healthy or can be extremely psychologically unhealthy? See uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos, see the guy from WeWork. I mean, the, you know, the list goes on in, in that world. Um, and how do you combine that with, with alignment, right? Or, you know, how do you take action and what I call like relentless action, which at times can be required, but celebrate like there's no tomorrow, right? Instead of always moving the goalposts back, how can you celebrate even before you arrive at any mile marker? How can you celebrate? How can you harness discipline, but also detach, right? So the book just goes through all of these individual principles. And my aim is to show how we can all dose. And that's what it's really about. Like, how can you dose? We're in your life right now. So like if, if I'm asking, and maybe I'm asking you, Jeremy, or somebody listening, um, to identify a place in your life where you can dose, uh, of course, of your choosing, a little bit more discipline. Like where is a place where you know that discipline is actually going to serve you a little bit more? And then on the flip side, where is a place that you can dose a little bit more detachment? And when I say detachment, it's um, letting go without the need of something uh, becoming dependent on some outcome to come true and instead just uh, detach from the outcome. And so those are just some simple examples, but I kind of break it down that way. Um, and in the middle, there's amazing stuff between those two. You know, if you're able to, if you're ambitious and you're aligned, that's amazing. You create awesome stuff, right? If you're focused, but you become the observer of your life, that's great because you do needle moving work, but then you're able to see the macro of your life. If you um, have grit, which I think is a very important um, attribute for long-term growth and success, that's great. But how can you harness gratitude to amplify your grit, grit to amplify your gratitude? So you got me rambling, but those are just... (laughs) Those are some, some, some things that I've stripped out from the book and I break it down in that way. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I assure you that this podcast as a podcast guest in particular, like you have free, free will and green light to ramble all you'd like, my man, like beautiful, it's all good. Um, <laughs> you touched on vision. You had an interesting question on your website, which is uh, like, how do you chase vision without being desperate? Sure. So it, it sounds like that is a question that kind of touches upon the two polarities, so to speak, of the, the ambitious drive to create or pursue the vision with the acceptance or surrender so that you're not desperate to get where you are, right? Yeah. I suppose another way to suggest is, is like, how do you fall in love with the process of the journey, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And uh, you know, it's, it's funny because in all of my research that I've done, I, I know you've done 
so much too as a scholar and stuff like that. Based on the research, like we need to, we need to be able to look at the horizon. And that's just my metaphor for tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, 30 years from now. Be excited about something. It's like across cultures, this is pretty prevalent. And in in Africa, that might be you're excited about access to clean water tomorrow. Um, but it's it's you know, I've, I've lived in third world countries and I've seen this you know firsthand. So it's important to have a vision because a lot of time people will say, oh, there's no point in setting a vision, you know, you're you're operating out of lack or you know, all of these things. And that's actually not true. To have a compass in the future allows you to make better decisions today. And when you make better decisions today, you're more present today. So there's this beautiful paradox, juxtaposition, dichotomy, whatever we want to call it, um, that happens between these two. Now, of course, we can be too rigid with our visions. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but for me, you know, I do set, I have set all types of visions in my life. And many times they didn't actually go to plan. And many times they actually, um, maybe they failed to come to life or opened up different doors that I didn't see coming. Also, many times they came to life in much more powerful and dynamic and exciting and fun ways that I never could have imagined had I been so rigid in the vision. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to have a vision, but that it's also important to, in essence, forget about it temporarily. And so what does this mean like practically? Because I know it's especially for me, uh, um, it's easy for me to philosophize. It's kind of my, my, my comfort zone. I spend five to 10 minutes a day just imagining and reimagining and replaying what I call my North Star vision in my head every single morning. Just five minutes a day. I always tell people, if we have time to check Instagram, I hope you have just a little bit of time to check in with your future self. Now, once that's done, and that becomes my compass for the day. So it's like, got an opportunity to be on this amazing podcast. Yes, that's 100% aligned. Is that aligned with my North Star? Absolutely. Um, you know, is this documentary about some rabbit hole for three and a half hours aligned with that? I don't think so. Right. Or is this coffee invitation aligned with just, it gives you a nice way to say, are the choices and the the decisions that I'm making on a daily basis, are they aligned with that vision? Are they, are they taking me towards that? Can I see the horizon a little bit more? So on a daily basis, you can do that, but then also forget about it. Once you've done that, it's time to forget about it. And it's time to what, to actually be present in the here and the now. And that's the, that's the dichotomy between these two, because it's very easy to get desperate about a goal or an outcome. And so what happens is that your whole life is on pause until you arrive at the mile marker, which is, you know, when we do that and we arrive at the mile marker, we look around and one, we don't feel so good Two, all the people that we wanted to enjoy the ride with are no longer there. And three, we're also empty. So we got, you know, the highest form of failure for me is getting everything you've ever wanted. And then it not feeling like enough or it not feeling like you thought it would. Um, so can you set a vision and then love the process so much that nothing else matters? So for me in writing this book, the writing of the book fulfilled me more than any outcome will. It doesn't matter what happens with the outcome. Yes. Do I want to see it quote unquote succeed? Do I want people to be impacted? Do I want to get messages on Instagram? Of course. And my ego in particular wants a lot of those, but I'm playing with house money because the process made me feel meaning and purpose and fun and push my comfort zone and all of the ingredients that I mentioned at the start. And so anybody can do that the same with whatever they want to do. I recently coached up. He was an aspiring filmmaker, just released his first film. And it was the same exact thing. You know, his has a big vision. He wants to win an Oscar. I bet, you know, every director probably wants to win an Oscar, just like every musician wants to win a Grammy or, you know, whatever. And we worked really hard to get him and energetically aligned with that vision and to taste it and to feel it and to go through it, but then to also completely let go of it. Cause if he's thinking about some statue, you know, some random statue and, and filmmaking is crazy. Writing a book is a, is a joke compared to filmmaking is what I learned. But if he's thinking about some statue when he's trying to direct, 
you know, 30 people on a set, it's never going to happen. He's lost. Mm-hmm. So I, I love, I love those two worlds. And I think it's important um, that we just check ourselves, you know, are the actions I'm taking towards my vision? Are they starting to become desperate? You know, am I, am I doing them with clenched, you know, clenched fists? You know, am I checking my email with a knot in my stomach? Because if they say no, I'm going to be completely off course. That's not fun of me. And it also, it's not good for performance either. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. Um, you reminded me of something I heard from Seth Godin. You must know him. Um, oh yeah. All timer. Yeah. And so he was talking about this idea that we often ask people, which is like, if you knew that you couldn't fail, what would you do? Right? Like if you knew it was all going to work out fine, what would you do? And Seth Godin, who's this marketing genius, very calm and soothing voice says, that's a terrible question. I asked the opposite question, which is if you knew that you would fail, like, what would you do? Like, what would you do anyway? Right. So like, would you still make the movie? Would you still write the book? Would you still launch the business? Would you still say yes to the date or whatever? Like, and I, I think it's an interesting way to shift that perspective whereby you're checking in with the clarity of intention inside. You're like, yeah, no, this is a fuck. Yes. Like I want to do this. And I don't, I don't care if I win an Oscar, like, yeah, it would be great. But I also recognize that like, because of hedonic adaption, like, it'll feel good for like maybe two weeks and then I'll get used to it. And then, then what? Like, then I'm on exactly. to the next thing. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like the, uh, the, the existence of like deeply unsatisfied billionaires, I think proves that money is not the highest pursuit, so to speak. Yeah. And it's like, everyone will say, prove it to me. You know, <laughs> everyone's like, okay, cool. Give me all of my dreams now. Yeah. And then let me get back to you, Jeremy, you know, because yeah. I hear this all the time. And that, that's even if subconsciously that isn't the mindset, that's often the mindset. Um, but the reason why that question is so powerful, like you said, is that it focused a hundred percent on the process, mm. right? And the process, and it's like so many spiritual texts are rooted in this. So many yogic traditions, the Bhagavad Gita, like everything's like, are you able to fully let go of any outcome and be inside of the process with whatever that may be. And if, and if you are able to, that's the highest form of success. And by the way, just in general, if you can love the process, your chances of external success actually really increase exponentially. That's not, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because the process is enough. But if you can get to that authentic place, your, your performance is just only going to go up. And that's, that to me is the, is, is the magical spot. And I want to help and I'm sure you do with this show is to help people find what is that thing for them that irregardless of outcome would make them feel that on a daily, hopefully daily, but if not a few times a week, weekly basis, monthly basis, um, because that's, that's a very powerful place to be in. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Like any, any kind of creation requires that kind of sense of liberation, right? Versus feeling heavy, feeling judgmental, feeling worried, feeling uh, blocked. Uh, It's going to be very difficult to create your best work from that place, right? Yeah. Versus feeling in flow, alive, excited, et cetera. It's a completely different energy. Exactly. Yeah. And you reminded me, I worked with, uh, this dude named Kyle Cease for a while, a couple of years ago. And oh yeah, yeah. somebody was talking about how they wanted to write their book, but they couldn't do that because they needed money. And, and he had such an interesting take. He's like, well, that's exactly why you need to write your book because then people will buy it and you'll have money. And you can sort of just see the, the reframe short circuit, this individual's eyes, like in real time, yeah. it was like, Oh God, like, what like hadn't even considered that possibility, right? Because I feel like so often we're focused on the negative or the fear. And so how do you work with people to shift that perspective into one of possibility and potential, um, the visioning, right? So, so that Oscar winning filmmaker or the aspiring Oscar winning filmmaker. Exactly. One exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and you said, you said the right word, which is, which is perspective. Right. And I think, 
we all need to find outlets, tools, resources, people, conversations, scenery that gives us that perspective, that gets us away from the trenches of our lives and allows us to take a step back and, and watch ourselves almost like we're watching a film um, and just notice how we're operating in our day-to-day and what kind of decisions we're making. And so to me, it's, it's cultivating a, a toolkit to create all types of perspective um, on a daily, weekly, and, and monthly basis. And so what does that look like? It's like, it's the ability to get to the end of your work day, whatever that looks like with a real, with a real bookmark, especially now in like a, in a COVID world or where remote work is so popular to be able to say, listen, the days that the, the day in terms of progress, at least in this bucket is done. Let me shut it down, but let me not just shut it down. Where did I win? Where did I show up? It's like if three wins, just so celebrate three wins every single day. Um, and I've done this with so many people and they think they have to have some cataclysmic, you know, win. And that's not what it's about. You know, it's like find the smallest possible win. Maybe your win was you went to the grocery store and you had the courage to comment on the ladies jewelry. And that sparked a conversation. That's a win in a world that's starving for connection. That's a huge win. And the list goes on and on. Or maybe you didn't get everything that you wanted to done. But you know what? You did those 30 minutes of creative work that no one's going to see for a while. Nobody's going to care. No, no, no one was Instagramming you while you were doing it. But you did it because it fueled your soul. And that's the thing that I'm talking about. It's like, how can you create the perspective that allows you to love the process, but then also take a step back and see the bigger movie of your life. And that to me is where mentors and role models, coaches and conversations like this and books and nature and space and all of that stuff. And by the way, all of those things are emotional regulation tools. After this podcast, I'm going to go on a, on a flow tank later today because that allows me to step away from my sensory life and just be in this container. And in that container, I can actually reflect deeply and say, how am I showing up during this season of my life that is that is busy, that is different? And then I can make a new decision based on that North Star. So I think everybody needs to have their own toolkit. My toolkit is uh, a mile wide at this point, and it's very intuitive. You know, Some days I do need to go on this mountain here in Arizona called Camelback Mountain. And that's that literally gives me the perspective because I'm on top of the mountain and I see the city below. Um, other days I need to um, journal. Other days I need to tap into my creativity. Other days I need to work with a mentor. Other days I need to do more creative conversations like this or call a friend, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, the more that we can create perspective for the process and also the vision that we have, the more centered and the more grounded and then also the more that we can pivot along the way, you know, when COVID hit, um, I already consider myself someone who is, you know, deeply in alignment. Um, and when I say alignment, it's like, there's a constant, you know, thread between uh, your words, your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, like the people you hang out, et cetera, et cetera. But I had already been feeling like some things needed to change. And so that was a huge opportunity for me to say, to take inventory and say, what is no longer aligned with, because, you know, when you set goals, you, you know, I, I set visions sometimes based on who I was last year and during 2021 or whatever it is. And even though I check in with it, it can easy, it can be easy to lose that. So it's like, what needs to, what is no longer fitting in that, in, in the, in my definition of my North star, like what, no, you know, for me, one of the things was like, I constantly found myself like pitching myself to speak. And uh, I think I'm a decent speaker, but I was doing it because like everybody else was doing it on, you know, in this like coaching influencer world. And, uh, and I think it's a great art. Uh, I'm friends with one of the best speakers in, in the country, but like, I, I found, I was like, I don't, I don't want that. I'd rather have an unscripted conversation like this, you know, or write or whatever it may be. And so small example, but the more that we can shed the stuff that we're doing that isn't aligned or isn't what we want anymore, or just based on our current evolution of ourselves, 
Um, that's, that's how we were able to kind of marry those, those, those two worlds. Yeah. I appreciate that you referenced the toolbox because I've, I talked to a lot of people and, um, there's so many ways of doing things and there's virtually an entire industry around each tool, right? Exactly. So, so some people might suggest, oh, you've got to do online courses. Oh, you have to do speaking. Oh, you have to do a podcast. Oh, you have to post on Instagram every day. Oh, you have to post on Instagram once a week. Like there's so many different recipes to consider it. And you said, um, I think you said intuitive or intentional, right? Yeah. So, so you have the toolkit, you've learned the various options and then you check in of like what do i actually need or another way to to phrase a slightly different more nuanced question is like what do i want right now like what do i really exactly. want like yeah. what i really want is like someone to tell me that that i'm doing okay and that they're proud of me and so okay wh- where in my toolkit can i get that like oh yeah. i can get it from x y and z right um what is your like what's your daily check-in life or what is that process like for you? What does it look like in real life when you are facing a struggle or, or perhaps a, a, an example of, of like your edge right now? Like what's something that you're like leaning into, but you're uncertain or something that you're working through? Yeah. I mean, mine right now is it's, it's, well, it's, it's twofold. As, as you know, any, so like I've been living with this material for two and a half, three years and when I, when I first uh, announced it, like it's, it's, anyway, it's just always vulnerable. It's like, it never gets easier. It's just a vulnerable thing. You know, when you put work out there and anything, anything, it's no matter what it is. It could be, I was coaching my group and I was like, I started this training and I started talking about the vulnerability of, of putting, it was a day that I announced the book. This was a couple months back. And uh, I don't even know where I was going. I was just kind of like ranting, but just not in a teaching mode. And I was like, hold on. I was like, this whole thing that what I just said, that's, this is me being vulnerable. Cause I have no idea what I'm saying right now. I'm just like, um, I feel kind of exposed, you know? And so that's, that's the thing. It's like that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with on the, on the other side to like deeper, the pandemic pause and like just that this change of habits and all that. It definitely, um, reorganized some of the principles in my life. Uh, in an even deeper way. And, and all I mean by that is that the, like the external, the external desire for praise and support and clapping and all of that stuff, um, it really started to, to, to die down, um, which sounds really good, but it's also for me, I've always, I have been a very ambitious person and I still am, but that, that lever was kind of like dialed down a little bit. And so for me, the thing that I'm wrestling with is um, my ego's uh, doesn't like that because my identity is tied to my kind of, you know, I, I help people expand. Like that's my thing. And I've had to be okay saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put the program down on my ambition for now, or maybe for, I don't know for how long. And I can still at the same time, help other people light theirs on fire. That's okay. That doesn't make me incongruent. It doesn't make me out of alignment. It just means that I can be honest about where I am right now and still perform the duties that I've chosen. Um, and so those are two examples of where my edge is, where I'm definitely feeling the edge, the vulnerability of creating something that you never know. It's like you put something out there, it can be crickets. And and by the way, earlier I said that would be okay. And And the truth is, if it was, it would crush me for a week because it's, it's three years of my life. Like I would be, I would be in a bad state and then I would be okay. And so, yeah, those that's, that's as, uh, I wanted to give you something real and honest. And those are the two things that I'm, I'm working with. Yeah. I appreciate the honesty. And, uh, I'm writing a book at the moment as well. Oh, nice. I feel like people don't understand what goes into any endeavor until you actually attempt it. Exactly. Like I remember years ago, I, I like was teaching my, I lived on this tiny Island in the South Pacific and I was teaching myself guitar. And then I remembered seeing Van Halen do a solo at a show once. Oh and God. it was like, Oh my God, that guy is so good. Like, 
I knew it at the time, but until I actually tried no, to do it, yeah. it's like, oh my goodness, he is, he's on another planet of, of talent. It's the same with, with writing a book or making a movie or any, any of these endeavors. I feel like there's a sincere heaping helping of like humility and appreciation for, for how much goes into it. And so just want to acknowledge you for putting three years of your life into a, a project, man. It's big. Oh, and, and like, that's why these days, like if, when I go to Barnes and Nobles, it's, I love going like a few times a week. It's just you know, <laughs> like doing stuff like that. It's a happy place. I will never look at, I never look at a book and say, oh, it's just, you know, open the book and just like put it back. I may not be interested in it, but I, I hold it with so much respect because mm. that is years of somebody's life. That's 50 people that nobody will ever meet that were had their hands in that that's agents. And those are like, that's like the top 1% who even get inside of the bookstore, let alone the millions that are out or self-published, which is, you know, can also be a great route. So I completely agree, man. It's like, and that humility is so it's, I think it's fertile, fertile ground for one's own process because, and there's two ways that you can take it. You could look at someone like, Van Halen doing a solo and be like, what the hell is the point? I mean, I'm never even going to like wash that dude's clothes in terms of, you know, playing the guitar. Like why even bother? And that, and a lot of people actually do that, I think. And then the other is like, damn, that's such an inspiring example of what the human spirit is capable of creating that it doesn't matter the the external if i'm ever going to do something like that similar what is my own version of that you know let me go play open mic let me sign up for open mic six months from now at my local coffee shop that's my version of that solo and i think that's that's the awesomeness of being able to look at other people through not a what's the point lens but your inspiration inspired me to do this thing not because I was trying to match up to you, but because I saw a reflection of me in you and that deeply in, uh, impacted me. And for me, I'm sure like you, it's like, that's been why I write books because I've also, you know, opened a book and been like, how did a mere mortal write this sentence? <laughs> it's like, oh, it's really? so ingrained in my soul that I just, you know, these are the words that I want tattooed all over my body. And if I, if I actually moved forward with all of the words that have impacted that way, I would have nothing left on my skin. And so to me, it's like when I write in the morning, I just want to, if I can just touch that for a slither, yeah. you know, the lightest touch, that's like, that's beyond what I could ever imagine. So I love that you, I love yeah. that you mentioned that. And I get my yeah. amazing, I have a nice Taylor guitar here in the corner and it hasn't been touched in six months yeah. because it is so damn hard. Yeah. I'm just cracking up because I relate so much to what you described there of like, I just want to be like close enough to smell something good. What that yeah. I'm writing, you know, of like, cause I know the power of words and the power of books, like the impact that they can have. And so just to be close enough that I might even be able to get a look at that dream as it's passing by that I might be able to do that for someone else feels exactly. exciting. You know? Yeah. On that note, I know you're exceptionally well read. Are there any books or writers that have really uh, spoken to you in a profound manner? Of course, there are. Another way I would phrase that question is, what, uh, what books do you think the entire world should read? Like if you had to Ooh. give a reading assignment to the whole planet, it's like... <laughs> These are always the hardest because it's, it's, it's like you have so many and then because you have so many, your totally. mind gets blocked and you don't know what to say. And then it's like proximity um, bias for like what you just read and what. Yeah, you exactly. Like what I read last week, you know, I, I'm a nerd of the timeless stuff. So I think, and I read a lot of essays as well. I think um, Seneca has an essay called on the shortness of life. Um, you can't read that and not live with a little bit more urgency, not in a stressful way, but in a very powerful way. That to me is is non-negotiable. I mentioned Emerson and self-reliance. And by the way, you can print all of these out. You don't even have to get them. That's Emerson and self-reliance is so powerful for just, just tapping into that inner agency. Those two in terms of essays, um, 
are some of my favorites, but like even uh, something more modern, you know, you mentioned Seth Godin has a tiny little book called the dip. Um, that's absolutely fascinating. And it's about how in any endeavor, much like we've talked about in this conversation, we, you hit a dip and you start excited and then you hit the dip and the dip is, Oh my God, I'm never going to, let's not talk about Eddie Van Halen. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to play a chord like the guy at, at open mic that I see every Friday. And, and his whole thing is those who are willing to endure the dip, um, get the benefits that nobody else can. So anyways, those just came off, off the top of my head. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's plenty more, but those are, those are some, some ones that I like timeless and also some modern. I like to blend both of those. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've not read either of those essays, so I will endeavor to find those online. And if you're listening, I'll try and put a link in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. I, I'd love to hear your thoughts once once, once you do. Yeah. I've read, I have not read that book by Godin, but the way that I've described that when I was doing my PhD, I described it as the Valley of the Suck. I was love like, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm just stuck here. I'm in the Valley of the Suck. And then I was on a, a podcast once t- telling this story and thinking I was being very cute and and the, the host was like, so, so like, how long was that? And I was like, oh God, uh, like a year. <laughs> like I realized that it was like a year of my life. It was like really just burnt out over it. Like all of the, all of the things, um, and how beautiful it is to, uh, to get through that. Yeah. And it doesn't last forever. Uh, exactly. No, you would know from writing a book. It's like, there's the Valley of the suck where you're like, uh, too far from the start to quit, but too far from the finish to like see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah. And, and in that place, every, you get an idea every day that sounds a thousand times better than the thing <laughs> that you're writing and your ego is like, that's going to, that's going to be yeah. the bestseller. Go write that. And, yep. and I, I think that's actually, I don't know who said it, it might've even been Godin himself, but he's like, that's why 90% of people don't finish books, movies, creative projects is because once they hit that valley, everything else sounds incredible. And then yes. the cycle repeats itself. <laughs> Literally everything else is better than being yeah. there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Love that though, man. Yeah. So tell me, I'm conscious of time. Where can people find you? Where would you want to direct them? How can they get more of more Tommy Baker in their souls? Yeah, no, love that. I have a, a love, love. Uh, I have a, it's complicated relationship with social. So sometimes I'm on like crazy, but I also, I also take time off. Um, so best place, if any of this resonated, especially if the book stuff resonated, you can just go to hustlersandseekers.com. That's hustlersandseekers.com. All the information, all the stuff is on there, all the links we're giving to some, some bonuses away. Um, but that's, that's the best place. And there's links to my website there and socials and stuff, but hustlers and seekers. Cool. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can check him out to his dormant or active social media accounts. And uh, thank you. Just want to thank you for showing up, man. I appreciate the time. Appreciate the energy. I love the the topic that you've tackled. I think it's important. I think it's powerful. And uh, yeah, I'm just stoked to know you, man. Right back to you, man. Thanks for what you're doing. I'm really excited about, about your book. Um, and also... Uh, I'm going to think of you next time I play some alkaline trio. So thanks so much, man. (laughs) Yeah, brother. So that was Tommy Baker talking all about how you can get your shit done without completely losing your mind, burning your life down, letting go of everything that's important to you, living under a bridge and eating goats. We didn't go quite that far, but I hope the points did come across. As mentioned, he's got a podcast. He's got a couple books out. You can check those out in the links below. Uh, Finally, if you're looking for some plans over New Year's, we've got some spots left for the Costa Rica retreat that I'm leading with Trevor Bohm and Leela Dilla. Seven days from December 27th to January the 3rd. We've got waterfalls, breathwork, yoga, workshops, zip lines, beach, surf, a New Year's Eve party. The food's insane. We've rented out an entire yoga retreat space a couple hours south of Dominical. Sorry south of San Jose in a place called Dominical. And uh, I'm going to include a link to that in the show notes. You can find that at leeladilla.com slash theunfolding, leeladilla.com, L-E-I-L-L-A-D-Y-L-L-A. And yeah, 
if you got no plans and you've got some cash, come and play. It's going to be life-changing. The people that have gone through the experience previously uh, had some big transformative shifts. So yeah, come play in Costa Rica. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the five-star reviews. You're, you're just great.